to the spin zone, everybody. Welcome to the Doppler 11 <laughs> forecast for your presidential election. <laughs> I thought it was supposed to be the no spin zone. Isn't that something from like MSNBC or something? Oh, yeah. I or think was they that have, Fox? Yeah, they have the... Well, whichever oh, it was one Bill, Bill O'Reilly, the no spin zone. Yeah. Wait, Bill O'Reilly <laughs> claimed to have person. no spin? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That's deranged. No, this show, this show is a spin zone. You, you come into this, this show zone, you're spun. You better know that coming in. We're putting your head on a swivel. You're getting spun every which way. Don't, <laughs> uh, don't think twice about it. Yeah, I was just looking at uh, um, a bunch of the Republican candidates because I was like, thinking to myself, we had talked about Larry Elder and how he might kind of have the sauce to defeat Trump. Okay. Uh, welcome to BB Lettuce, by the way, everybody, your number one Republican presidential candidate uh, review podcast. And <laughs> I, I went to YouTube and I, I looked up Larry Elder and there's two different pages. You can go to Larry Elder or you can go to Larry Elder with the Epoch Times. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. What's the We're, deal with the Epoch Times again? There's some kind of like super religious right wing news organization that's the shen yun that's the falun gong oh newspaper. it's the falun gong one. Oh yeah. yeah yeah oh interesting so he's like in their stable of uh people of talking heads yeah and then he has like youtube uh videos with with names like data scientist destroys racist police narrative with real data and then the little thumbnail <laughs> has larry and the data scientist like, oh, looking man. at each other and in the middle in big text it just says truth about police and blacks and it's like wow oh, man we, i gotta we, see this oh that's amazing <laughs> we know exactly what audience this is for yeah, it. I have to know: Is he making the YouTube face when he's doing this, like the the soy face or like the open mouth? It seems like he has his own like list of reaction faces that seem to be a little bit more cribbed from like sixty minutes interviewers than from like the, the <laughs> internet era. But I think he's definitely uh -huh. got a sauce going on. I'm not sure which one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I pulled up Larry Elder with Epoch Times, and uh, there's one. Uh, CNN reporter schooled. So you got a little arrow pointing to the CNN reporter. That's obvious. You got to have an arrow. And then he has his hands over his mouth in, in shock. Like you can't even see his mouth and his <laughs> eyes are wide. <laughs> but yeah, some of these he has like his fingers tented in front of his, uh, in front of his mouth and it's called mom versus BLM. So yeah. some he's like, let's observe this neutrally and uh, see what comes out on the other end. See if justice prevails. Some someone he's just smiling. It's just like his face. There's also a lot of like whinging or like wincing reacts where it's like mm, he's kind of yeah. showing a little bit of teeth in like dismay and he's like, I can't believe I have to watch Biden. Oh yeah, here from last year. Larry Elder reacts to Biden's teleprompter gaff. Remember when everybody was <laughs> on about the teleprompter? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so oh yeah, he 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 read repeat the line off the teleprompter. That mm -hmm. was pretty funny. You <laughs> you, you can't uh, you can't deny that one. But it is fun. He's kind of like he's doing a wince, but there's also like a bit of a smile in it too. It's like mm -hmm. he's so used to like putting on a like thousand watt smile. He's like, well, I'm on, I'm on, I'm cringing, but I'm also smiling a little bit too. <laughs> and then there's like some that are just about him. That's like Larry Elder talks radio business and how he got started. Who made Larry Elder the man he is? To, like they're just literally puff pieces about him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, there's truth about race where he just uh, 
debunks claims about race, debunk mainstream media. What about this one? The media's liberal bias for the Palestinian narrative and against Zionist Israel. (laughs) I didn't know (laughs) I didn't know Falun Gong was like super pro Israel, but it makes a huge amount of sense. (laughs) It does make sense. Yeah. Uh, I don't actually like uh, China's official position. They've like done arms deals with Israel, right? I feel like I've read something about that. I don't really know many details. but Yeah, I feel like China just kind of, if you're a big enough country and you you make moves in the economic world, China mm-hmm. has this like very functionalist way of being like, well, it's silly not to do business with you because you, you do exist and you have money. I'm sure that if Palestine yeah. had their own state, China would be just as relatively like neutral in the situation to them um yeah. but i would be curious to know what the chinese government's official like long form stance on the israel palestine situation is i've never i've never dug into that yeah i don't know i i think i i know what you mean though that it's like they that's it's like a very pragmatic kind of approach where it's mm-hmm. like it's definitely not their like fight either way it's like not anything that involves them it involves like Western countries like America and Britain Mm -hmm. and like their wars in the Middle East. And I also think China has an interest in having strong economic relations with every country in the world, essentially, just Mm -hmm. because like, even if they're not going to ever invite Israel to join BRICS or whatever, Uh um, the I will always stand for India. But Mm -hmm. like, you know, if if their economic bloc becomes powerful enough at some point, then it's going to be very advantageous for them to have that kind of influence in a lot of countries that would normally be very friendly with the United States. I mean, we saw this with the Saudis already a couple of times where like Mm. U.S. investors were like shocked that the Saudis would go with Chinese contracts over American or or Israeli. Well, of course, not Israeli, because I guess there's tension there, but um, over American or like British or German contracts, and they were like, why are they doing this? And it's like, well, China, the Chinese firms probably offered them better contracts, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is their whole thing, is that it's like, they're not trying to, uh, I mean, they do have a lot of military power, but like, mm-hmm. they're trying to just beat the US and the whole like Western block, whatever you want to call it, NATO block, mm-hmm. on uh, on economic grounds and like international relation through like favorable development kind of grounds like they they basically want to like beat the u.s at what they claim is their own game which is like the u.s is always saying they're going into other countries to help the people there and to like improve their lives so china is like oh if you actually if you actually do that then the u.s will look bad in comparison because they're not really doing that they're spending Mm -hmm. all the money on wars and invasions and like installing puppet governments yeah why does the u.s keep showing up and shooting everybody and then saying that they are doing the thing that i've seen china do over and over again (laughs) it's got to put it puts china in a very advantageous situation and also one of the big this isn't in our notes at all but one of the big stories that um is supposed to scare us in the west that um i I saw Mm -hmm. somebody on twitter had found like four different versions of the headline where it's like china has less billionaires than ever before (laughs) china's wealth structure is flatter than it's ever been because now that they've eradicated extreme poverty they're focusing on what are they calling it the common prosperity program where they want to even out the economic structure of the country and we're all supposed to be like terrified of that but it's also like why would we be Mm -hmm. scared of that because like if if doing that makes your country stronger and it undoubtedly will 
then it seems mm-hmm. like that's just an incredible thing to do. So I think the reason we're supposed to be scared of it is because if China does it and it works, then it'll be like, uh, you know, waiter, there's a fly in my soup. You know, sir, please keep quiet or everyone will want one. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I do see there's an article. Uh, is this recent? Yeah, from April. Why China's billionaires keep disappearing, which is like they've been trying to make that a story about Jack Ma, who I guess he was recently spotted at a, a school in Hangzhou. Because uh, okay. I feel like they were really trying to make us think that he was assassinated for uh, <laughs> criticizing the the Communist Party, which is like what they always do. Like in, in North North Korea is like the most guilty of this in sure. coverage, where anytime they haven't seen someone, it's like North Korean party member feared executed, Kim Jong-un girlfriend executed. And then they're like, oh, actually, we saw her again. I guess she wasn't <laughs> yeah. executed. Our bad guys. It's just like the media is the same way about like, uh, you know, officials in socialist countries that my grandma was always was about anyone in the family she hadn't seen in a while where she's like, <laughs> I hope they didn't get hit by a car. They always have been careless, just like your father always running across the street without looking <laughs> like they're just like, we, we, we haven't we haven't seen Kim Jong Un's sister in a day and a half, she must obviously be at the bottom of the fucking South China Sea or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I for oh yeah, we were talking about Republican candidates. They came out with some mm-hmm. new ones, so we okay. got some more losers who will never ever even make the debate stage, probably. Um, and one of them is Doug Burgum, who is apparently the governor of North Dakota. I mean, who gives a shit? But um, <laughs> North Dakota, yeah. I like Doug Burgum because he has a very like stuffy, stupid, generic white guy name. Sounds like Burger, and also mm-hmm. he looks like a Eugene yeah. Levy character. <laughs> Which uh, I'd really like, like to see him go up on the debate oh, yeah. stage and embarrass himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he looks like the kind of. Uh, I feel like the Democrats always wheel a few of these guys out too. They they kind of look hapless. And uh, they end up looking like a deer in the headlights during the debate. And they get in like one line and they're like, when I'm president, I'm going to do this. And you can tell everyone else is laughing at them internally. And they're like, man, you're not going to become president. It's also really funny because they describe him as like a conservative technocrat. Uh, and they're like, that's okay. usually more of a governor thing than a president thing. And then they say, mm-hmm. if he can turn the focus to governing, he may get some traction in a field otherwise mostly focused on Trump. That's the worst Republican strategy I've ever heard in my life. Focusing on governing? That's what the <laughs> Democrats do. That's why they fucking lose all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really boring. They're always like, well, we're going to come in and we're going to try to implement. Like, that was literally Hillary, Hillary Clinton's whole thing is she mm-hmm. was like, I'm a robotic person that nobody really likes, but I am smart in all like the ways Democrats are supposed to be. I'm like, I'm going to go to the 14, the meetings 14 hours a day. I have like a detailed plan for a bunch of shit. Liz Warren, too. Nobody fucking mm-hmm. cares about it. It's like, it's just for wonks and like self-described technocrats and like pollsters. And I right. feel like it's just this thing where like the people who run these campaigns, it's like, there's no normal people who end up there. Like if you're a normal person, you find something else to do that probably pays you more money. But if you're actually like believe enough in like American Democratic Party politics to like make it your life, then you're like, everyone I know cares about this stuff. So <laughs> we can just get the message out and it'll appeal to normal people. And then it's like, nobody gives a shit that she like did the most homework. Yeah. Homework brain. That's exactly what it is. People Mm -hmm. think like, Oh, you know, uh, 
if if we just get somebody who's enough like Lisa Simpson, then we will <laughs> get her into the presidential office. But it's like, you know, guy mm-hmm. or girl or whatever, people don't want Lisa Simpson for president. People want Bart Simpson for president. They want Lisa Simpson to be like a fucking circuit court judge or something that actually requires like a measure of responsibility. Because being responsible mm-hmm. and doing the homework isn't what the president does. The president goes and shakes hands and makes decisions about which emissaries we kill with drones. It's a different job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The president is like the jock who uh, is just good friends with all the nerds, too. So he gets the nerds to write all his papers for him and he gets A's and everything. But, mm-hmm. you know, deep down, his teachers are like, I don't know if you wrote this, but I can't prove you didn't. And everyone likes you. So sure, you get an A, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter anyway. I mean, that's, 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 that's who you want to be president. It, it's not like I would ever vote for her, but like. Sarah Palin was a real presidential candidate, just a certified moron with a lot to say and not (laughs) a lot going on behind the eyes. And that is what that's what Donald Trump is. That's what Joe Biden like. That's those are presidents. Even Barack Obama, the guy who ostensibly did the homework, also had like a whole veneer of swag and being like, I'm this Mm -hmm. wild and crazy guy from Chicago. And like, it worked for him. And if you don't focus on that, it doesn't matter how much homework you do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the thing is that like most people who were voting for Obama, it's like, if you go back and like watch those speeches or like whatever the stuff he was saying on the campaign trail, it's just pablum. There's nothing really there. He just like has a few talking points. He has a few like issues where he's like, healthcare, we're going to give you healthcare. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Like stuff that it's like, hey, if, you, if that's actually true, that seems like a good thing to do. Not really much detail. People didn't care about detail. They were just like, hey, this guy is like actually acknowledging things that George Bush never acknowledged. And yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Like, if, I think if Sarah Palin had run when Trump did, she would have had a lot more traction. America sure. was just in the mood for uh, a, ch- a more chill guy, a more like cool guy. Well, and it's like, I've, I've been doing this research into cybernetics, not saying that I have a great grasp on it or anything, but like mm-hmm. in... In cybernetic systems, especially the way Stafford Beer describes it, he's like, at the top, the executive, the like head boss, the CEO or the owner or the president or whatever, mm-hmm. they're really not supposed to do all that much. In fact, they're mm-hmm. supposed to be dormant most of the time, except when something very necessary comes to their attention so that they're not spread all over the place making decisions. And it's not just that like that's how he thinks it's supposed to be. It's That's the way it usually ends up shaking out. And so I think Uh it's important for people to remember that in the U.S. like executive branch, the president is in many ways just like the chief of vibes. He just is the vibe leader. And that's why he has like a whole cabinet and an executive staff and why you have like Joe Biden coming out and being like, you should really urge Congress to do such and such thing because the president is immensely powerful, but the president is also like this weird amorphous office where most of their job is to just be a vibe. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in like the, the time period from like the sixties, seventies on it's like they're, they're, they're very much a conduit where there's like TV news and like a lot of communication among citizens and you can have like big protests that make the news. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's like, it's not like Lyndon Johnson just in a vacuum was like, I want to sign the Civil Rights Act. He kind of had to because that was the vibe and he like had to, he couldn't not be a conduit for it. He's like a lightning rod for what's happening. Well, it's like, I I feel like around the time probably Teddy Roosevelt was president, it really Mm -hmm. solidified into being the chief of vibes because Teddy Roosevelt was, was like, he probably wasn't the first vibes president, but he was the first vibes president who turned it up to the level that like we see in like a Donald Trump. 
I think. He was the mm-hmm. same level of just a big, boorish, ostentatious moron <laughs> yeah. that a lot of people love, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, interesting how that develops. Because you don't see that as much with the Founding Fathers. It's not like Andrew Jackson had any fucking swag. Like, that guy was a demented fucking criminal <laughs> who just like <laughs> happened to be in charge of a country. Yeah, Andrew Jackson was like... I think the way he got elected was like sort of like it had sort of proto Trump vibes because there was uh, I think like around the time he became president, like more people could vote. And he got a lot of like like basically everyone who was like in the like elite or the upper like edges of society and of voters and stuff like thought he was like, like you said, like a deranged bore. But a lot of average people were like, yeah, he's cool. He tells it like it is. And he kind of like rode that to victory. I'll vote for him. He'll shoot a guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Our country is very young. Anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah oh, there's one more Republican candidate that they, that has announced since the last time we talked, and that is the mayor of Miami, Francis Suarez. And wow. the Politico article basically just says um, he is the only major Latino candidate. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> wow, his middle name is X. That's pretty cool. His middle name Francis is Francis X. X Suarez. Really? That's what it says. Francis X Suarez. Oh, Xavier. Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. I was going to say, if your middle name is just the letter X, then actually that's cool. But Xavier, yeah. like, when I was a 19-year-old wook, me and my festy-ass girlfriend named a kitten Xavier, and I still am <laughs> embarrassed about it to this day. So don't put that in your kid's name. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's different if you're Hispanic. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Eh, probably different rules. I mean, Francis yeah. Suarez, he also has kind of like a Patrick Bateman kind of look to him. Like, he's really bit, shiny, yeah. and his hair is super slicked back. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. In September 2021, he revealed that his ultimate plan for the city of Miami is to abolish taxes. Okay, pretty cool. Instead, <laughs> he hopes to fund the city's activities by the issuance and continued mining of a city-specific blockchain token called Miami Coin which has led to him being nicknamed <laughs> Mayor Ponzi P- uh, Postalita by documentary maker and director Billy Corbin. He also so, stated Miami is looking to allow its residents to get paid in Bitcoin and to be able to pay their taxes using Bitcoin. He took, he took a salary and he was the first U.S. politician to get a salary in crypto in 2021. Jesus. Oh, that's hilarious. Isn't that like, so wait, he wants to do the El Salvador thing that failed? Because mm-hmm. didn't El Salvador yeah. like try to pin their whole national economy on crypto and it just like... I, shot through any hope that they would ever have a normal economy i forget how far they got in that but apparently in miami it says less than a year after the launch of miami coin the token was delisted from its last exchange okay coin after losing over 90 percent of its value suarez lost 2500 dollars personally on miami coin suarez continued to tout the money earned from miami miami coin and maintained his support for cryptocurrency 20 wait 2500 dollars I don't know. It, it says he lost it personally, so maybe he like that's how much money he put into Miami Coin, or like how much he had of it that lost value. Yeah, but if I don't you're know. the that sounds insane. You're the mayor of Miami. Twenty five hundred dollars is not a lot of money. Like I, no. I know regular fucking schmucks who blow twenty five hundred dollars gambling on fucking regular ass lottery <sighs> tickets. Like if you have a product that you're, yeah, you're like, yeah. this is going to replace taxes in my city forever, and it's going to be perfect. Also, I'm willing to wager $2,500 on that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. It's just so fucking silly. Um, Oh, that was the other thing about the Republican presidential candidate. So, like, while this whole Donald Trump thing is happening, I believe so far Pence and DeSantis 
have both pledged at various points, because I think North Carolina is one of the earlier states you go campaign in. Mm -hmm. They have both pledged to rename Fort Bragg back to Fort Bragg from Fort Liberty, which it was just renamed to. They're saying they don't like Liberty or they want it to be named Bragg. They don't want to be woke. They're saying, yes. And actually, Pence used the word woke specifically. Mm -hmm. He's like, we won't stand for this woke nonsense and we will honor... I forget what he said. Uh, I don't think he said Confederate generals explicitly, but he was like people who led soldiers from the South or something like that. And it, he, it's literally so insane because like when Trump was campaigning, I did this joke on Twitter, but I'm going to do it again on the show. When Trump was campaigning, he went to that Waffle House and he was like, oh, these baseballs, they're incredible. Where'd you get these? And the guys are like, we went to Walmart. And he's like, I love Walmart. And he signs the baseball and he's like, I love this Waffle House. It's, it's beautiful in here. This is also wonderful. He's like killing, like he's he's uh-huh. murdering this crowd work. And then Pence and DeSantis <laughs> both get up at the podium and they're like, I think the murder capital of the United States should have the racist name again. <laughs> I intend to be president. <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently Ron DeSantis called it political correctness, which like, wow, going a little old school on that one. Like yeah, it's been these, political correctness since we were kids, I think. These PC warriors. Well, that's like, I've been thinking a lot because Stafford Beer the guy I was talking about earlier, uh, mm-hmm. uh, he wrote brain of the firm for like managers. And, uh, a lot of people were like, this book is fairly sexist. And then later, like even people mm. who work on his work were like, yeah, it's a sexist book. And then by the nineties, mm. he was using, uh, when he described like a technician, he would use like S slash H I M or okay. S slash H, you know, um, I S or whatever. Maybe yeah, that yeah, one doesn't work. To be gender neutral. Yeah, that was like the gender neutrality. And I was like, wow, that's such a 90s ass way to do gender <laughs> neutrality. So it's kind of interesting that like the Republicans, they don't just want to to like be regressive in social policies in general. They also literally want to dial the clock back on what the acceptable like terms and parameters of the debate are. Which is, I mean, really <laughs> demand. Like, I have nostalgia for things too, but like having nostalgia for getting to do sexism or racism in a particular way is just like that's on a different planet to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, speaking of Trump, we have something about uh, Jim Trusty. Why don't you lay that one on me, John? <laughs> oh, yeah. What's going on with trust? Trump so, had, Trump has no trust, no job, and no hope now. Th- that's right. Three of Trump's lawyers have left: Jim Trusty, <laughs> Jim Jobs, and Jim Hope. Uh, so <laughs> this is Jim Trusty, who I believe last week withdrew from representing Trump in a pair of federal criminal probes. Has just today. Uh, on the 16th as of recording has pulled out from yet another Trump legal matter. And so it seems like, uh, Jim trustee has found that the Trump team no longer has any need for such a a trustee boy because he has (laughs) cited irreconcilable differences, uh, before leaving the team saying that he is no longer capable of effectively and properly representing the plaintiff. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, this is this is interesting because it's like it's not I mean, I don't know how long Jim Trusty was his lawyer, but I do know he was his lawyer in 2023. So it's like, you know who Donald Trump is and you're happy and fine to represent him, which is like, you know, that's not it's a very common. That's like the whole point of a lawyer is that it's like for the right price, you can find someone to represent 
anybody. Like the whole idea is it doesn't matter how guilty you look, how much of a bad person you are. You can have a lawyer. They'll represent you. They'll try to get you your day in court. And that this guy is like, you know what? I can no longer be Donald Trump's lawyer. It's like, what does he know or think? Like, it seems like something really bad is happening for Trump. If like even his lawyer, who clearly has no qualms or morals because he was his lawyer already, Mm -hmm. is like, I don't think I can handle this one. I don't think it's going to be a good case. Yeah. Well, and then, okay, so they contacted the Trump campaign and a spokesperson from the campaign said, quote, and this kills me, quote, the defamation lawsuit against CNN is entering a new phase. (laughs) <laughs> as more, is that new phase they literally oh, said man. a new phase and then a continuing hell yeah as, as more irrefutable facts are revealed we thank mr trusty for his work on this case and wish him all the best end quote and so mm. it's kind of interesting because they say new phase and more irrefutable facts are being revealed in the context of talking about jim trusty leaving so my question yeah. is does the trump team realize that this makes it sound like the irrefutable facts are so bad against Donald Trump <laughs> that Trusty <laughs> felt like he had to leave the case and not like they're making the progress that I'm sure they intended to spell out with this statement. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is going to be this is going to be awesome to watch. Um I wonder how long it'll actually take for Trump to like go on trial. Like do is there a timeline for that? I don't know. I mean, court cases are incredibly slow moving. For instance, I yeah. believe they literally just got to sentencing today or yesterday Mm -hmm. on the tree of life synagogue shooting in pittsburgh that took place all the way back in 2018 if i'm not mistaken um Uh uh-huh oh actually i just found it uh that a judge set a january trial date in e gene carroll's defamation lawsuit against trump okay Um, so they're moving it relatively fast i mean i guess this is the kind of thing that if you hung it up in the courts it would generate so much buzz that it would just get tried like you could make a documentary in the time that it would mm -hmm. take this to get resolved normally so they have to fast track it yeah yeah so it looks like he's going on trial in october on a civil fraud lawsuit brought by the new york attorney general and then he has a federal class action lawsuit accusing trump and his company of promoting a pyramid scheme that's in january of 2024 and then in March, he's, he'll face a jury on a New York State criminal charge that he falsified business records in connection with hush money payments to a porn star. Oh, and so that there's not even a trial set for his uh, the recent uh, indictment for allegedly hoarding classified documents and obstructing the government's attempt to get them back. So he's on multiple trials before that even happens. But I think that's not new because he's like faced like civil trials pretty often before. Mm-hmm. And he's like, like you said last episode, he's, he's like lost sometimes and had to pay people. And uh, I guess he's even facing a jury about like the uh, criminal charges that he falsified business records. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's hard to imagine he goes to jail for like paying Stormy Daniels hush money. He, he might get a fine or something. I don't know. But yeah. he could go to jail for the last thing, for like his last trial. I mean, it'll be pretty interesting. It sounds like he's going on tour, basically. Like yeah. he's, he's just got like a trial circuit set up. He's like, come see me in <laughs> October when I'm in criminal court. And if you miss that, <laughs> don't miss the April uh, civil court circuit because it's going to be a doozy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I feel like it's going to, I mean, it's going to get in the way of his campaign touring, but it's also going to make him a lot of hay that he can like, He's going to skip the trials as soon as he can and then immediately mm-hmm. go back on the road and start hitting up tour dates for his campaign and be like, can you believe the woke nonsense they have going? They have me on trial, folks. They're putting me on trial. They don't want me to win. They know how good I'll be. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be able to play up like the weird martyr kind of 
weird idol. It's going to activate weird Jesus-y parts of people's brains and stuff. It's going to yeah. be a really demented election season, especially if like the Democrats pretty much like congeal around Joe Biden right away. And it's just like yeah. Biden as like this weird inert, like the neutron in the middle of the atom. And then like uh, Trump is the insanely positively charged, just emanating weird energy all the time. And then you have these like, you know, dozen orbiter electron Republicans trying to make a name for themselves in the chaos of all this, just like saying the craziest shit you've ever heard in your entire life because they are <laughs> ro robot career politicians trying to fake the funk of a Donald Trump on trial. It's going to, it's going to be demented. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I wouldn't surprise me if it's just like they coalesce around Joe Biden. Cause that seems to be the way they operate is if it's like, there's somebody that, the enough of the party machinery can get behind like this is the thing with hillary clinton when she was running against donald trump is that as far as i can tell basically like the clinton crime family convinced everyone else through like cajoling or deals or threats to not run in uh, 2016 i'd be like like Hil hillary is like the candidate to beat she's going to become president uh mm -hmm. no one else should run and I think Bernie Sanders was the only one who was like, you know, fuck that. I want to run anyway. Like everyone else, like Elizabeth Warren and I'm sure Kamala Harris and all those people would have run, but they were basically asked not to. And I'm sure like under under like threats, under cajoling, whatever. Um, so maybe what? Bernie will, but he's also so old at this point. I don't think Bernie will run again. And if he does, I mean, uh, I just don't think it can work out for him. I think the time Bernie would have had the best shot is when he got talked out of running against Obama's second term um, oh yeah that would have been I, cool he was talked out of primarying him uh and i think that was right around the time where people would have been really receptive to what he had to say and maybe just mm -hmm. a critical juncture where he could be like barack promised you hope and change was like the slogan all of this stuff basically and then look at how much of a bog standard normal liberal administration it's been i could offer you up this difference but i don't even think that necessarily would have had that good of a shot of working yeah i i agree i don't think he would have beaten him but it's like it's so insane that you are you're, it's like let's not even like keep the, keep him honest let's not even like make him go out and campaign in the primaries and be like hey here's why uh i'm the best democrat it's just like i'm the only one like why who else are you gonna vote for yeah i mean i get it obama had a crazy amount of goodwill among his base for mm -hmm. a really long time during his presidency. In many ways, I think that's what Trump has just been the opposite of. Because people are like, how is Trump able to be so popular when he's so widely hated? And it's like, well, his base loves him. Don't you remember Obama? It was the exact same situation, just with the yeah, roles yeah. shaken up a little bit. Where, like, if you liked Obama, you covered your Volkswagen in Obama and the Chive stickers, mostly. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, you know, you, you kept telling everybody at the gas station, I can't wait to get an electric vehicle. Uh, and this was before Elon <laughs> was involved in all this stuff, too. Mm -hmm. So you would, you would get, like, a Nissan Leaf or whatever. Or maybe it was even <laughs> more primitive than that. I forget. But, um, yeah, it was, it was exactly the same thing. And I know because my family, especially my mom's uh, side of the family, it was, like, ground zero for Obama supporters. I was like a rabid Obama stan in high school. Oh, my family loved, loved Obama. My like yeah. whole extended family for the most part, they're just like, oh, it's so awesome. He's so smart. He's so, he's so principled, like all, all this stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very similar where it's like, it, it doesn't really matter if, uh, 
like people are always going to hate the president. Like there's going to be some people who really hate them. There's people who just hate any president and, mm -hmm. you know, for good reason in many cases, for insane reasons in some cases. But what matters is that you have like a core of people who love you and then enough people who are like on the fence enough about you that if you convince them on the right day, they'll be like, eh, whatever, I'll go for that guy. Everyone sucks anyway, so I'll vote for, I'll mm -hmm. vote for this guy. I always kind of wish we had like, uh, more European style parliamentary elections in this country where you could elect like uh -huh. a minority government with like 30% of the vote because like the Christian Democrats made an alliance with the Greens and the Liberal Dems and they managed <laughs> to get like such and such faction of like the Social Democrats to agree. Like it would still be hell, I know for a fact because yeah. Europe is also hell, but it would be a much more like interesting and precipitous type of hell. Cause like there, there are some European <laughs> countries where they have like votes of no confidence two weeks after they have an election and then they just have an election again over a weekend and then they get a new government. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. What, what was the election? Like if we did that kind of stuff, wouldn't uh, Ross Perot have basically formed a uh, minority government? Because there was there was an, the election when Ross Perot ran as yeah. an independent, and I think he got something like thirty percent of the popular vote. He just didn't win any electoral college votes because that's how the electoral college works. Ross Perot vote percentage. Okay, he won. Hold on, yeah, nineteen point seven million votes for an eighteen point nine percent share of the popular vote. So like a minority. I don't know. In like parliamentary elections, I don't know if like that's enough to like form a coalition. But it would. I think it meant that like. No, well, he what built. Bill Clinton won that election, so like no one got the majority of the vote. So like Bill Clinton would have had to form a government with mm -hmm. Ross Perot in Parliament or whatever. Right, he would have need. Yeah, Ross Perot would have been put in a position as like a the kingmaker. Basically, it would have come down to yeah. like whoever's willing to form a coalition with him. Although I think that that's it depends because like they have some countries where it's like the leaders of the various parties that have the most seats get to make a coalition government and then in some other places okay. it's like runoff vote totals determine that and they all have different mm. like threshold levels i think the eu has like guidelines for certain parameters you're supposed to be within but honestly here's the thing liberal democracy is all just a bunch of made like you just make up a system and you're like this will work good enough yeah. <laughs> <laughs> seems fine good enough for government work as they say right let's dust our hands off and go home <laughs> Exactly. Um, well, speaking of somebody who should dust off their hands and go home, the CEO of Reddit has freaked the fuck out because um, <laughs> apparently Reddit has raised the prices for access to their API, whatever that means, like for developers to mm -hmm. use data from the Reddit website, which I guess is mm -hmm. a pretty common thing. I don't know about this stuff. In response, a bunch of Reddit moderators have taken their subreddits and made them private and done a bunch of other various things to slow traffic to the website in protest. And the Reddit CEO, Steve Huffman, said Thursday that he would like to bring an end to this protest. Uh, he said in an interview that he plans to institute rules changes that would allow Reddit users to vote out moderators who have overseen the protest and then compared them to, quote unquote, landed gentry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, this shit is really funny. Uh, yeah, this whole Reddit protest has been pretty interesting because, I mean, it's like it's a thing that I, I don't know if you've been on Reddit a lot in the past like decade. It's like a thing they do every so often where it's like I feel like one of the big ones was. Uh, what was it called? Sopa Fista or something? Sesta Fosta, one of them. 
some kind of like uh mm. like i think it was it was the stop online sex trafficking act or something but it basically like it was one of those laws that was like written by politicians who like don't really understand the internet and it would have meant like any site could be liable for like any link that was like leading to illegal content or something on it and basically would like ruin the internet as mm-hmm. we as we knew it so a lot of different websites were doing protests about it reddit was a big one where they were like like blanketing the front page for a day with posts about it and like everyone was talking about it. And it's sort of a thing people make fun of on Reddit when everyone is sort of doing like internet activism where they're like, we're going to change this by posting about it and like emailing our congressmen and whatever. And this one, I think I feel like it started off kind of the same where a lot of subreddits were like, we're going to go dark from June 12th to June 14th. So like for two days, we'll take down the Reddit and it's in protest and we're going to they were asking Reddit to like lower the cost of API access so mods could still use it. Because apparently part of the, the thing is that it's like being able to like automate parts of being a moderator is one of the only ways to like actually moderate these huge subreddits. If there's like millions of people, there needs to be like a uh, lot of sort of like automatic filters in place and automatic rules enforcement and stuff that you can do with bots and other third party apps and stuff. So this is even more insidious than the way, like, no shade to Wikipedia, but, like, I think the that most people who do, like, moderation and stuff on Wikipedia are just totally unpaid, and they're just, like, doing it for the love of the game. And then you yeah. have Reddit, which is taking that up a notch, where it's like, hey, if you really love the game, you will actually subscribe to one of our paid <laughs> services so that you can... So that you can be effective enough at helping us run our website so that we can mm-hmm. continue to sell ad space so that we can make money on two fronts. <laughs> yeah. Direct one of them directly out of your wallet while you give us free labor. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Because at least Wikipedia is not trying to make a, a profit. And ad, selling ads is like a huge crux of the reason they're doing this, too, is because one of the big things that is happening because of this is third party apps like Reddit apps that people use. There's like a few different mobile apps that are really popular because they're better made than the actual Reddit mobile app. They're basically, they're going to cease to exist because of like how much more expensive the API access is becoming. It's like 10 or 50 or it's like something really huge increase in price. And then that means that Reddit will have you locked into their app and can serve ads. Whereas like those third party apps can't serve any ads. So it's a way to like make it more expensive to do anything on the site and make it so every user has to be viewing their official app and viewing ads. That's been a really interesting, uh, like, symptom of the level of technological, I wouldn't even say progress, but, like, technological consolidation that we've seen is that, like, so Mm -hmm. many companies have felt like they have to lock everybody in this Apple-style walled garden where everything's proprietary Mm -hmm. and you must use the direct-to-consumer product that the big parent company made and put on the market. And it's the rollouts are always slow and everything's always super expensive. And, yeah, I mean, like, once they Mm -hmm. get you in there... They they'll they have no qualms about cranking up the price for moving numbers around on the internet, which is essentially what data transfer is, uh, by yeah, ten mm-hmm. or fifty times. They don't they don't give a rat's ass. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's an interesting, it's like another step, like you said, consolidation is like a good way to a good lens to look at it through. That uh it feels like first a lot of these companies like Twitter and Facebook and Reddit. Twitter and Facebook especially, but Reddit to some extent too, they're like pushing this like algorithmically driven content that's sort of meant to like figure out what will get you to click on stuff or what will get the average person just like logging in for the first time to click on stuff and then keep like hooking them into that loop. 
And uh, now it seems like they're taking the step of like, once we've hooked you in and once we have you in the loop, now we're going to make it so like you can only access the site one way. You can't, you can only do things that we deem like allowable on the site. And we're going to like make it more locked down, more algorithmically annoying, more filled with ads. It's sort of like they're like locking the door behind everyone. And they're like, now that you're here, we're going to make it a worse Mm -hmm. and worse experience that makes us more and more money. And you won't have any choice because you're like locked in. Yeah, it's it's also an interesting like way of revealing that they don't really have a good sense of planning for the future or really mm-hmm. like what makes a product enticing to the consumer because it's like a big part of what's fun about using a given service on the internet is that I can come to it in a customizable way. I can interact with it within the definitions and, you know, kind of prescriptions that I feel are appropriate to my user experience. And if I don't like it, I can figure out a new way to interact with it. And it's like, as soon as you lock everybody into this system where it's like, okay, we've got you hooked on the product. And now we want to make sure that you have to pay through the nose for the product and you use the product in the prescribed way. People start to get like, you know, pissy about it. And they're like, what are you, Nintendo? You want to turn everything into, you know, some some shitty little bubble where I have to pay $70 for a, a reprint of a game? And people Mm -hmm. begin to not like the product anymore because surprise, surprise, like the customer service and the consumer environment that you provide with your product is part of the product, you fucking morons. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. At a certain point, it becomes like the whole product where it's like if there was any new website that was as shittily run and annoying as Twitter or Reddit or any of these sites, Facebook no one would even think about looking at it. They'd be like, oh, this is horrible. I'm turning it off. It just has people sort of locked in and grandfathered in because a lot of their friends and a lot of other people are on these sites. You know, it's like subreddits Mm -hmm. are usually just like the biggest forum for whatever the interest is. Like if you're into football, it's like r slash NFL is the biggest forum for talking about NFL football on the internet. There's like no bigger forum. So like if enough people start leaving because it's so annoying and hard to use and it starts feeling like it's just filled with bots, then there, there could be a real tipping point for a lot of these sites where it's like if enough of like the real regular people leave and there's not that many peop- actual people left having conversations, then people might just go elsewhere. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they go because like, you know, uh, people talk a lot about like mass migrations influenced by like possible future world events, possible climate change, well, definite climate change. And my question is like, well, we get to kind of study this in in a different register with the internet because it's like, here's the thought experiment. If Twitter and Facebook, like by far the two most active text-based social media websites, if they tip over and stop mm-hmm. getting use, and let's say Instagram goes with them, where would yeah. people go? Like, do do we just return to forums? And we're just like, I'm just here tending my forum posts. It's It ain't much, mm-hmm. but it's honest work. Or do <laughs> do people like innovate new technological solutions? Do we get like a Wikipedia of posting? Do we get mm. like a, a peer-to-peer protocol? Is there like a, a LimeWire version of Twitter? Like what, you know, what's the future? <laughs> like what, what's the alternative? <laughs> yeah, it is weird because it's like, I feel like people who are savvy enough and like want spaces on the internet to like, I don't know, it's, it's interesting because I, I feel like forums and then also Discord are like two of the big things that can replace it because like Discord, the way Discord works just feels right now fundamentally different to like Twitter and Facebook and stuff where you make a server and then it's kind of just like, 
you're the king of that server and there's not really anything algorithmic going on and it's kind of just about like bringing people together to have conversations like there's not i, I can't think of a way as discord currently works because you have all these different like channels and servers so it's like you mm-hmm. go in a server you go in the general channel you're just seeing the posts in real time there's no way to like do the like algorithmic timeline kind of thing that twitter does so you kind of just see the posts right and in a in a natural way it's just interesting with discord because i feel like discord suffers from the opposite problem that like twitter does where twitter is always keeping you on the surface level you're always in this weird Mm -hmm. like rhizomatic endlessly interconnected space of like i can click through this tweet to see this related account to see this tweet to see this related account and like before you know Mm -hmm. it you're watching like just people who post tiktoks whereas discord it's like yeah i joined a podcast discord and a minecraft discord okay well now i'm in the book channel and the redstone channel okay well now i'm in the gramsci sub channel conversation and i'm in the flying machines uh on you know uh java <laughs> servers so and you continue oh, to yeah, specialize yeah. just deeper and deeper before eventually you're just you're just trading github updates with the one other person in the world who shares your incredibly niche interest and you're totally yeah. disconnected from everything so what i want is a service that functions something similar to the way facebook groups in about 2015 where you had like the mm. groups and pages dynamic where like if you wanted to go down a rabbit hole you could if you wanted to go up for air back to normie posting you could yeah. and you there was like a flexibility of use there that was really appealing and nice yeah that is the weird thing is that it's like to some extent people do like like f- following algorithms it's like they i think pe- people do like I, I i think the thing is that like a recommendation algorithm is cool if you can choose to like go and engage with it. And the thing that's weird and off-putting about Twitter and Facebook and stuff is that they kind of just try to like, they're trying to like slowly frog boil you and turn the entire experience into a recommendation algorithm without telling you. Like, it's just like, oh yeah, we're going to change from, you know, tweets in like the timeline view where it's like based on when it was posted to for you where it's all algorithm and they always switch it and like don't tell people. And it's like, it is technically on top of the page, but I feel like people who are less savvy will be like, why does my Twitter feed suck all of a sudden? And if you tell them to switch back from for you, they're like, oh, thank God. Like, I'm not seeing all this random crap from people I don't follow. And it's like, nobody likes that experience because it just means you're like looking at a fucking like fountain of nonsense being blasted into your face. But if you can be like in a specific way being like, okay, let me click like, People like clicking similar artists and seeing other artists that are like algorithmically related to the artists they like. That's what was cool about Last FM back when that was a popular site was like you got into a band and you're like, what's mm-hmm. similar to this? And it just kind of like shows you what other people listen to who like that band a lot. And then that can just sort of lead you down endless rabbit holes, like you said. But each time you click it, you're like, okay, I know I'm specifically following an algorithmic link and going to a new page and engaging with it in that way. I'm not sort of being like pulled along without realizing when it's an algorithm and when it's just a post from someone I follow. Right. Yeah. Like on like Twitter could even crib notes from stuff like Spotify where it's like, you know, you wake up in the morning, you open your Twitter and they're like, we've prepared four different algorithm playlists for you. Would you like beast mode? Or, you know, cup of <laughs> coffee? Or would you like, you know, uh uh fucking yeah. um adventurous, you know, or or whatever. Like and, you know, you could get different related kind of interests or like if you go on YouTube, 
and you're you're looking through your your algorithmic kind of dump, it'll just list a bunch of topics ac- across the top. And if I'm like, uh-huh. yes, I I only want to look at Texas Hold'em videos, I can click Texas Hold'em and just get fed that slop. And that's not going to solve like the fundamental problems, but I think mm-hmm. having that like level of of lateral movement within the user experience would help a lot because as it is right now, it's like, would you like would you like you know advertisement uh, tray A or advertisement tray B, and that's literally it. It's just like following <laughs> and for you, and that's it. And they both suck. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what's interesting about the Reddit protest is that it seems like it's mm-hmm. actually working to some degree. I don't know how effective it is, but we've talked a lot about non-employees doing these kinds of like collective actions, and how in the case of poker players, it's been very ineffective, and how when uh, Pearl Jam tried to get other bands to protest with them against Ticketmaster, mm-hmm. it was very ineffective. But uh, seemingly, by chance, during the same time as this Reddit protest, the uh, Biden White House apparently cracked down on Ticketmaster for junk mm, okay. fees. Uh, and they did also get, um, I believe, Lyft and one other business that typically charges you know annoying fees to sign on to a... a mm-hmm. um, agreement that they would not charge junk fees anymore. And so uh, it's kind of funny that it's like a lot of these things do eventually get addressed, but only like way after the fact when they become something that's like trivial for an administration to do. And never when like the actual people affected by it are there telling you like, hey, this is a problem, like in the case of Pearl Jam. Uh Yeah, that is like the that's like the Democrat bread and butter is like, all right, once something has become so like hated or so popular once it's like such a decided issue that it's like only a greedy insane person would fall on the other side of it that's when we step in and join the winning side and say you know i've always hated junk fees let's tell companies to ban those and then the companies have to be like i guess we will or you'll regulate <laughs> us more or pass a law or something because it doesn't seem like they actually, they just got them to like sign a pledge that they would do it they didn't actually like pass a new law or mm-hmm. anything no yeah it's just something where like uh, they basically got the CEOs to agree that they weren't going to do it anymore. So what's probably going to happen mm-hmm. is like they're just going to raise the ticket prices and then be like, we don't charge <laughs> yeah. junk fees anymore. But I guess mm-hmm. like the concern was that fans would see a ticket that would be like for a big name. They'd see a ticket for that would be like $300. They'd go to buy the ticket. Mm-hmm. By the time they're done checking out, it's like $500. So now Ticketmaster's yeah, yeah. just going to be like, it's a $500 ticket. That's honesty yeah. <laughs> for you. So yeah, it doesn't help that much, but I guess it stops people from being tricked. I don't know. Yeah. So apparently, lawmakers on Capitol Hill earlier this year, following the the big thing about Taylor Swift ticket pricing, that kind of like started oh, yeah. this whole hubbub. Um, so this is like a big government thing. I I expect that like if it comes down to Biden debating probably Trump during the election, Biden is going to bring this up. He's going to be like, look. I can't do a Biden, but he's going to be like, look, Jack, I got the fucking, I got the ticket master to stop charging the junk fees. I got mm-hmm. them to stop charging the overdraft fees. <laughs> I got them to stop t- tipping 20%. Uh, ticket masters uh, is a crack jack <laughs> organization these days. And you, mm-hmm. you can thank old Smokey Joe for that one. 
<laughs> yeah, he's gonna be like, look, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I was scared. I was scared of the uh, the fan cam people, the the, the Swifties. They were, they were gonna roast my ass. They were gonna they were gonna kill me if I didn't do it. So I had to. I had to do it. I had to do it. I had to help them out. I had to help my granddaughter. Like she likes Taylor Swift. I, she, she's a lovely young woman. I think we had to we had to help her out. I didn't want to be the first uh, American president to uh, die live on uh, um, uh, <laughs> TikTok. World Star Hip Hop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on TikTok, yeah. World yeah. Star Hip Hop. I'm an old fucking man. That's showing my yeah. age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's probably still like a fight video could be on World Star Hip Hop. Who is the first president who's going to die on World Star? Yeah. I guess any any president who's assassinated, someone will put it on World Star. So it's just like whatever president gets assassinated yeah. next, which is like, it's weird that it hasn't happened yet it feels like it could happen again yeah i mean i think jfk kind of put everybody off right because um when uh leon solgozi assassinated mckinley in 1901 that was like pretty cool because he was like an anarchist it was like a real worker thing i mean it wasn't the smartest move but like it was a cool assassination and I think that kind of got the sauce going. And then JFK, like when the CIA was like, oh, this anarchist tactic actually serves our ends pretty well. Let's just straight up do yeah, that. Because yeah. he's like too friendly with Cuba or whatever. That kind of put everybody off. We're all like, oh, maybe the old bullet isn't like the, the best way to handle this. Can't just mm-hmm. go straight to the top. There's some, uh, there's some paperwork that's got to be filled out first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the, uh, the strategy now is just to like before they get to the white house just like have a plan to like make sure someone who's friendly to your aims is the only people running for president in the first place or that it's someone you can control in whatever way and then just do it that way and then you don't have you you can keep the facade going the kayfabe for all the uh all the citizens who are like wow i love choosing a leader nobody else was involved it was just me and my other constituents and voters and such Absolutely. Well, uh, speaking of kayfabe, let's talk about a little market manipulation that's going on right okay. now. So there's a major opioid producer called Malincrot, and I'm sure I'm not saying <laughs> that totally name. right, but whatever. Uh, so their shares shot up 26% during afternoon trading today after the drug maker said it reached an agreement. And this agreement's pretty interesting. So they have been on the hook to pay a $200 million opioid settlement for quite some time. Okay. And the deadline was supposed to be today. And there was a lot of like panic movement on the market. And then they announced mm-hmm. that they have reached an agreement to delay the payment by one week. And their <laughs> shares <laughs> went right back up. Wow. Yeah. And <laughs> what kind of What's kicking be different about one the week? road is this where you... Yeah. <laughs> I know like uh, this this is something that you tell a landlord you don't to, like go to court and get an extension to pay 200 mil like are you really such a big company that you can scrounge up 200 million you didn't have in a week <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't understand why it's like yeah next week I'll definitely have it like do they have 195 million they're gonna find the last 5 million in the couch cushions <laughs> so apparently they make 1.5 billion dollars in a quarter so 200 okay. million dollars is like two weeks worth of revenue for them mm-hmm. so i don't really see why this is even that big of a deal like why investors are even that worried at all that seems like yeah. a small price to pay for all of the money that they made off of codeine yeah <laughs> yeah it, it, it's weird it's, it's it's like are these companies that i mean i guess a lot of these kind of like corporations and like stock shares and banks and all this stuff. It's like 
it's a lot more it's it's a lot more prone to being destabilized than they want you to think like they want you to think that this is all rock solid and it's going to just like last forever and keep growing but apparently it's like if you uh if you have to pay a couple hundred million dollars suddenly like the whole thing is going to come crashing down kind of reminds me of uh, remember on the sopranos after tony gets shot you've watched the sopranos right yeah 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 uh after tony gets shot he's like back in therapy and he's like talking to uh melfi about like how it's kind of a setback because he wasn't making money and she's like, but you've implied that you have millions of dollars. Like, are you saying that like this much time in the hospital could really just like ruin you? And it's like, it's kind of the same for these corporations too. I think that it's like a couple of weeks in the hospital, not earning, having to pay money to someone else. It's like, it could bring it all crashing down pretty easily. It seems. Yeah. Cause it seems like a lot of them Well, like back in the day, the, the business wisdom was to have a lot of redundancy and have a lot of reserves so that if there's an emergency, Mm -hmm. you don't die immediately. But then the U.S. got really high on its own supply in the post-war boom. And by the time the end of the century was coming around, we were moving into lean manufacturing models and just in time, everything where you don't Mm -hmm. don't keep any redundancy, you don't keep any waste lying around, you do all the labor intensification in the world. And then it turns out that that creates like, yes, it creates a wildly productive economy for a while, but it's also an incredibly brittle economy that can be easily broken by its own internal movements. I mean, when you're stretched that thin, literally, like if your heart pumps too fast, it's going to shatter your fucking spleen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember there was an article we talked about on the show uh, a few weeks ago. I don't remember how long exactly, but it was like a Substack article that you brought to the show that was... um, it was about like the insurance market and how like there's companies that were like not going to insure homes in certain states because it was like getting too risky. And uh, it was just like one of the things he was talking about is like, and the risk was because of climate change. Things like in, in California, there's so many wildfires that it's like not really worth it to insure homes. And it seems like it was going to be happening in states like Miami, where there's more and more like flooding and hurricanes and they don't want to insure them. And uh, he was just talking in that article about how it's like, this kind of just means that then the states will be selling insurance instead, but it's also like a pretty clear like absurdity and fiction because it's like, well, what if like ha- like a bunch of people in your state all at once are hit by a disaster and it like dwarfs the budget of your state? Then you're just going to like have to go to the federal government mm-hmm. for more money. And also in general, how it's like the 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 risk, like there's obviously like a human risk where it's a bunch of people living in the path of danger in terms of climate change and like their homes could be destroyed. They could suddenly become destitute. They could lose their assets, but it's also like uh, the whole economy is like underpinned by the value of homes and like mortgages and stuff. It's like, it's not like we've stopped using mortgage backed securities and like mortgage loans and stuff as uh, like the backbone, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like a very safe, stable investment. So if those things all start becoming worthless because people are, people's homes are destroyed then it's like you have a bunch of people suffering and dying or homeless or a lot poorer, you know, at best. You also have a lot of like entire like organizations like banks and, you know, fucking hedge funds and all this kind of stuff that are suddenly billions of dollars poorer. And then that kind of just causes huge ripple effect where at a time when everyone like people need resources and help, uh, the whole country starts looking poor and they're like, wait, we don't actually have any money. Mm hmm. Yeah, like Rhode Island is only like 200 feet above sea level. Let's say Mm -hmm. like all of Rhode Island just like starts to flood. The insurance companies don't provide flood insurance anymore. The Rhode Island state government steps in and provides statewide flood insurance. And then the flooding doesn't abate. It just gets worse. The whole place is underwater. The entire state 
collects on their flood insurance. The state goes bankrupt uh-huh. in a weekend. And uh, then the federal government has to step in and bail them out. And while they're doing this, major disasters are continuing to occur all across the country. Rhode Island is just a convenient example because it's so fucking small. Like, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a big enough hurricane could demolish like half of fucking Florida. And, you know, yeah, there's way more valuable yeah, real with, like, estate in Florida than Rhode Island. So. The, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like how many millions of people in Florida live on Miami, like live in beachfront property. It's like there's so much value quote unquote that is like extraordinarily like you're literally building a, a house on a crumbling foundation like you're building it on the beach in a, in mm-hmm. a state that gets hurricanes all the time as climate change is going to raise sea levels and like only create more extreme weather events yeah it's absolutely wild well uh dear listener keep that in mind while you figure out where you will be renting your next apartment or buying <laughs> your first home somewhere yeah. in this country so yeah. this has been this has been beep beep lettuce your number one real estate advice podcast thank you all so much for calling in we had a lot of longtime listeners uh first time callers so uh, if you want to check out oh subscribe to our patreon if you want to get more episodes Check out my other show, Work Stoppage, Bryn's show, Generation Loss, Todd's shop, Doomer.shop. And as always, we love you. Stay high. Goodbye. Goodbye. Tune.